the incomparable. Number 593, December 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode was not originally planned to happen, but um, sometimes a wonderful thing happens, which is I watch something on television just for pleasure and then discover that lots of people I know also watched it and liked it and found it very interesting, and they all want to talk about it. Um, That was especially fortuitous for this because it would be very hard to assign homework for The Beatles Get Back on Disney Plus, approximately thousand hour long miniseries about the recording of uh, Let It Be, as it turned out to be. Actually, how how shall I put it? A harebrained scheme to get The Beatles back in the public eye that misfires completely and goes in several directions, ultimately leading to the recording of Let It Be is sort of how I would describe it. Anyway, really interesting stuff available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it's from Peter Jackson, who has not just done Lo- The Lord of the Rings and other movies like that, but also some pretty great documentaries. Uh, the They Shall Not Grow Old is a really amazing World War One documentary, and he did this uh, sifting through all the footage that they shot on 16 millimeter, not 35, no, 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 16 millimeter film in 1969, uh, early 1969. And we get to see all of it. Well, okay, some of it in the very long documentary. Here to talk about Le- uh, The Beatles Get Back, not about, oh, we could talk about Let It Be too. It's an interesting album. Are the following wonderful people. Monty Ashley is here. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. Uh, so, my idea is we finish this podcast in Libya. Oh, it's a great idea. <laughs> we may have to boat people in, but uh, but yes. it's, a, it's a World Heritage site. It would be a great place to do a live podcast. Three days on a boat with fans. It sounds great. What could be better? <laughs> George Harrison will definitely do it. Stephen yeah. Schapansky is also here. Hi. Hi. Five of us riding nowhere, spending someone's hard-earned pay. I yeah. feel like that's going to be us tonight. You're our, You're our Ringo. <laughs> I I resent that. You, you're a drummer, aren't you? I'm I'm a drummer. Yes, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. Poor Ringo. Poor Ringo gets basically <laughs> Ringo. demoted to extra. You know, his his main contribution is like halfway through part three when he tells everyone that he farted. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best moment in the whole thing. Yeah. They yeah. saved it. They saved Ringo for last. Uh, they did. Guy English is here. Hi, guy. Uh, just for the duration of this recording, I'm going to be. Sitting in the back, chain smoking and drinking. I'll be right up on the drum riser, just All right. hanging out, being mildly pleasant, but you know, otherwise unobtrusive. You can have as much toast as you like. <laughs> and uh, a first timer on the incomparable, but she just she's the reason that we're doing this episode because I saw how in- into this that she was, and her husband and our friend Merlin were not going to let her talk about it for as long as was necessary. So we said, let's do an incomparable and invite Amy Gruber. Hi, Amy. Hi, I'm here just because I have a really big mouth and a lot of opinions. That's perfect <laughs> for podcasting. Perfect. I hope that works for you. It does. It's 100% perfect. So uh, this is uh, this is an amazing document. It is, they just happened to shoot it. They thought that they would get something out of it. What they got out of it is not what they thought they would get out of it. They thought there was going to be a cool little follow-up, the next Beatle movie, and it was going to be about them making this album and doing a concert or maybe a couple of days. They would record a concert in a studio. They had lots of ideas. They went to a movie, uh, a movie set. That they were that was being rented to be uh, for a movie that Ringo was in that (laughs) I have never heard of. Oh, you want to know about the Magic Christian? I do. (laughs) Tell me about the Magic Christian. Let's start because that's what everybody really wants to know is what the heck is the Magic Christian? 
It's based on a book that's pretty bad and is a movie that is very bad. The premise is this. There's a millionaire, right? And he goes up to random people and says, I'll give you a million dollars if you humiliate yourself. Uh, oh, early jackass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except you didn't get paid in jackass. <laughs> that's not very Christian, like lowercase c Christian. Like That just seems like being a jerk. It is being a jerk, and it's very repetitive because it's just over and over. You, uh, why don't you cover yourself in beans and lie down in the middle of the road? What? I'll give you a million dollars. Okay. And then he, in the book, he j- ends with saying, and as you can see, everyone has their price. Oh, there's somebody else. And they just do it over and over and over again. It's by Terry Southern. And it was, is it is it scripted? Yes. So it's these people are not actual people being asked to do this. They're characters in a movie. It's like it's that's, like reality TV, the movie. That's correct. The characters <laughs> wow. in the book are also fictional. Mm, okay. What is the purpose? And I, I know that's a dumb question, but seriously, like, what's it trying to prove? Like, it's trying to point out the hypocrisy in society. Ah. Uh, Okay. Movies in 1969 were very interesting for the hypocrisy <laughs> of society. Fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. so where this this uh, this special this miniseries begins is in Twickenham Studios for what is supposed to be, you know, the TV special and all of that. And and what better place to practice music and record an album than in a an empty film studio? <laughs> and this is I don't know I don't know what you guys thought about this. I mean, obviously. You can't watch this without knowing what the eventual outcome is, more or less. But this, the first part, it really is just a, it's a disaster. Like, yeah. it's a complete <laughs> disaster. It's a place they don't want to be. Um, it, it's not, it sounds bad. It's, nobody's really got a coherent idea about what's going on. If If I learned anything from this, and I learned a lot, the number one thing I learned is that I didn't realize how important Brian Epstein was to keeping mm-hmm. the Beatles on track. Mm-hmm. And you can see it when they show up at Twickenham that like not only is nobody in charge, but they're kind of adrift and they're just a bunch of ideas floating out there. And 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 they're not good ideas. The ones that are floating out there are <laughs> they're very, very bad ideas. And so it's all just kind of weird and unpleasant as they try in the middle of this movie studio to you know, make music or, or rehearse songs and they, they don't even know what they're doing it for. No, I, I, I thought that was so weird. Um, I rewatched the first part and sort of missed how much they didn't even get the logistics of the thing, you know, that they just had no idea what they were even going to do. And then that's before you even know that they also a have no idea how to work together. You know, like that was so yeah. amazing to me that they're the Beatles and they're just like, yeah, we can't we can't work together. We don't do things in the same way. And they were just so adrift, as you said. What's weird about it is that the White Album had just come out a month earlier, a month and a <laughs> right. half, yeah. and had just finished recording three months earlier. So like they were just in the studio. Yeah. A modern band would not even consider going back in three months after finishing their previous album. Yeah. They're, they're so concerned that like, it's been like five months since their last single, which was like, Hey Jude or something like that. So like, <laughs> oh, it's been five months. We really need to put another single out. Uh, like the timeline, it's amazing to think that, you know, the very beginning of the film is a, you know, a, a short history of the Beatles. And you realize that basically from Beatlemania to where this is, is five years. Yeah. 
like five years that this this happens like that's that's uh, that's nothing to me you know think of right. t- five years in taylor swift's life uh here's the greatest <laughs> band of all time basically going from beginning to end in in five to six years it's stunning yeah and they don't i mean white album to be fair was famously dysfunctional and a bunch of tracks on there were only recorded with you know one member of the beetle or only a couple or beatles or one a couple members of the beatles that were not um acting like a band but that was what they were trying to do here is get back to basics and even though they weren't gonna tour because nobody wanted to do that especially george harrison who did not george want to harrison go hates to tour anywhere. i mean he was he mm. was a traveling wilbury and um you know like a super group with like tom petty and jeff lynn and bob dylan and uh yeah he was the reason they were all like hey let's tour and he was like I yeah. didn't tour for Beatles money. I'm not going to tour for Traveling <laughs> Wilburys money. You know, it's so, called the Traveling Wilburys, yeah. George. I don't care. <laughs> right. It's right. Yeah, and I think that uh, Bob Dylan and Tom Petty particularly were on him to tour. And then when he said, you know, like I didn't tour for the Beatles, I'm not touring for this, and they were like, oh yeah, we sort of get that. All right, you know? right, <laughs> right. And yeah, he and he's very much like when they that, that Africa thing. They're like, it'll be spectacular. And he's like, I'm not going to Africa. <laughs> and, and it's like he doesn't want to go anywhere. He, he doesn't really want to tour. So they created this. I loved him. It's kind of a brilliant. I mean, it's a bad idea, but it's also kind of a brilliant idea. Is what if we, we we're not acting like a band? So what if we act like a band? again we will get together we will run through some numbers and at the end of it we will perform and in fact we'll film it so that we can see the whole process of, of us coming together as a band and working these songs together and then at the end it'll culminate in a studio show and they had previously done this thing in a tv studio where they had performed live and and at the end everybody gets up on the risers with them and they're like let's not let that happen again please <laughs> but uh they but that's that's the idea and it's not a bad idea as it goes but as they start to work through it they struggle and they fight and they keep pushing back and as anybody who's ever managed a project watching this it's just like oh boy push it back some more keep pushing it back that calendar that yeah. peter jackson yeah. uses is so great <laughs> oh yeah he's like yeah. nope oh, it's so ominous move it back move it back more move it back yeah. more we can't do this but they're trying but i get that they're trying to get the magic back it's just really painful and and twickenham movie studio is the last place for a good vibe to happen Right. I love that calendar. I'm glad you brought it up. Like the uh, some days you're happy to see the calendar appear like, OK, God, they made it thank through this day. And thank God. they're yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> and some yeah. days you're like, oh, no, we're just burning time. It like, stressed me out. Yeah it, yeah. it seriously stressed me out. I was like, oh, my gosh, the rooftop concert is in three days and you guys haven't even run through one song all the way. <laughs> it's, it's insane. They're like, oh, we got it. I was like, no. Do you really? Because. You are the Beatles. That's that's what I've yeah. got in my in the back of my head the whole time. It's like you ultimately you are the Beatles. You seem like dysfunctional and totally screwed up and God knows how you're gonna make anything work. But I know history and I know you're the Beatles. I've got so a, I'm I'm gonna give it to you, you know? I've gotta wow. think that part of the motivation in setting this whole concept up was that though, was that like we give them a deadline. Or we give ourselves a deadline and we put ourselves together and it's like dealing with any procrastinator you've ever dealt with, right? It's like they, we're going to give them a deadline and we're going to do this. And in the end, they're going to work it through because they're the Beatles and they're going to come out with something great. And then as it goes, you're like, push it back, push it back. Yeah. Nothing great is happening. It's <laughs> not going to happen. Good is um, I, what I thought was weird though, is that, you know, that they were so they couldn't get on the same page. But to me, 
Um, I, I had always grown up thinking that the breakup of the, the Beatles was so contentious and mm-hmm. horrible mm-hmm. and such a big deal. And it was like this diva clash of between Paul and uh, John. And I didn't find that at all. I found them to be excruciatingly civil to each other, mm-hmm. like even though they were highly dysfunctional and they couldn't work together, but they no one was bitter about it like when george just didn't come they were like well you know george didn't come and or like when george decided to bring Hare krishnas they were like well george brought Hare krishnas it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's fine and yoga's gonna pay the gas bill and it's fine and and then john is going to bring a highly disrupt or paul is going to bring a highly disruptive child and it's fine <laughs> like the child I, was adorable I, yeah she, she wasn't to work she was adorable and did a nice job on the drums but <laughs> also yeah. was highly disruptive and i sort of felt like that was paul's like little f you to john <laughs> for yeah. bringing Yoko bring reading the paper yeah. like i know i'm i'm taking us into a different territory but i was surprised by um i i just thought that the beatles breaking up as a person so i'm i'll be 49 in a few days but uh as a person my age like i just thought that the beatles was breaking up was the most contentious thing in the world and then watching this and you know you can see they're going to break up you can see that it's not working but it was just not ugly it was so exceedingly britishly civil i i feel like it was like the you know it wasn't even people watching the original let it be movie it was people hearing about people who had watched it because it's so widely unavailable yeah everyone just everyone watched that one hour movie which is mostly about the beatles breaking up it's about george and paul having their little fight and like this idea just carried on for 50 years and i remember like when when it was announced that peter and you know peter jackson was going to do this and like the beatles were involved i think oh it's going to be all lovey-dovey and all that's going to be edited out and it's not but it's also not like present it's it actually reminds me of um the bear with me on this the 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 hobbit trilogy because there is you know it's 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 maybe a little over long i don't think this is over long at all i would literally watch all 100 listen to 150 hours and all 60 hours of video footage to this uh happily (laughs) but what honestly the 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 only time you could sort of tell that this is when the beatles break up is the scene where john glowingly praises alan klein and how he should be the next manager and it kind of reminds me of the of the scene in The Hobbit where, where for some reason Gandalf meets Sauron uh, who we know is going to be the big villain of the <laughs> Lord of the Rings trilogy and you think that oh boy this is where it happens because it's like they go to a meeting after they're done this right. album and they all like disagree wildly about what Alan Klein's role with Apple Records should be and that's really what triggers the main breakup of the band it's not this it's what happens immediately after this I want to push back on the idea that young Heather McCartney was a disruptive force because <laughs> because she was fun. They had fun with her. And when the Beatles are fun, that's when they're productive. You can yeah. compare the early scenes in Twickenham, which oh. are brought down by they're right. in Twickenham. It sounds bad. John is, let's say, on heroin. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And nothing's getting done. But once That's there's fun happening, yeah. once there's fun happening, once there's a kid mm. in the room, now things are happening. Now they're bouncing off each other. Now they're being productive. Yeah. Heather is good. The Hare Krishna is. Yeah. 
isn't it amazing? Weird, and Yoko is weird. Yoko, but I don't think they're actively negative, but Heather is a positive. Loco, Yoko gets a lot of crap, and and uh, and John gets a lot of crap for bringing Yoko to all of the all of the sessions. But George has got the Harry Krishnas in the like, yeah. like, and no one seems to mind. No. See, that's the thing. Like, you get so so the lore of me growing up was that Yoko broke up the Beatles, and that has always right. felt like misogyny and racism mm-hmm. to me. Uh, even as you know, a kid, it felt like, oh, come on. We're going to blame Yoko for this. But no, I think they all did all kinds of disruptive things, but they no one complained. No one complained when George brought Hare Krishnas. No one complained when Paul brought a child. No one yeah. even complained about Yoko. So I don't think that 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 was the the tension. I think it like like you said, they did well. You know, they brought the kid in and they all had fun. It wasn't it wasn't horrible, it, it, and no one seemed to hate Yoko being there. I hated Yoko being there. I was just like, oh, my God, she's just rustling the papers. <laughs> like, what does she do? Now she's darning socks. I was so mad. Like, Paul's trying to write Get Back, and she's darning socks or something. I think she's there for John, though, right? Like, John yeah. is clearly in a screwed-up state, and she's yeah, like, helping well, him out. They brought, the, yeah. they brought those people because they were all... They all had something they cared about more than the Beatles at that point. John right. cared about Yoko more than the Beatles, but if he can bring Yoko, he'll be a Beatle. George cares about Hare Krishna more than the Beatles, but if he can have a Hare Krishna there, he's willing to it's be a, a Beatle at the same <laughs> at time. At the same time. Yeah. They, I, talk about fun. Um, I agree. It was not what I expected. And here's what I really didn't expect. I don't know what my... We all had our mental pictures, all of us who who were not around when the Beatles were uh, actively playing. Um I had a picture of them that was not what this was, which is much, you could see that they've been doing this a while and that they're friends from way back because there's a lot of just screwing around here. And I I get that if you're a manager or somebody who's trying to get a concert to happen in four days, (laughs) that seeing them screw around might be frustrating, but I... I think, and this is one of the things that's brilliant about Get Back, is I think it's a window into the creative process of people we know really well, and that helps because all the stuff about the dynamic of the creative process is so theoretical because unless you really, 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 really know the work well, you, you just have to take their word for it, and we know the Beatles work so well that we don't have to take their word for it. We can see it happening. And screwing around was part of the the deal. Like, they were playing... Uh, blues songs and American, uh, you know, black American rock and roll songs that they, we knew they loved, but even at the heights of their fame in the, in 69, they're playing those songs. They're playing and referencing their original songs yeah. from the early 60s. They're, John and Paul are playing each other's songs. Yeah. Mm. It is, I, that blew me away, um, because, I thought that, you know, the Beatles breaking up, it would be kind of poisonous and let's just do this and get out of here. And instead, some of the greatest joy in the whole thing is when they're just screwing around playing uh, two different things, playing old old music that they really love um, or <laughs> music we know they're not going to record until the Beatles break up, which is the other thing uh, that happens <laughs> in this. It's like, oh, that's a really good <laughs> song that will be recorded by George Harrison uh, yeah. two years later. <laughs> There's another good song that will be heard by George Harrison. Oh, and there's and, another song that will be heard well, by yeah. George Harrison. He, two he years literally later. released a triple <laughs> album of all the stuff they didn't let him put on Beatles. It's amazing. The other thing, there's a moment where John, where John Lennon is sort of like, you know, imagine there's this and imagine there's that, and I'm like, oh, you should write that down. That's gonna be, yeah. you're gonna, that's gonna pay the bills later. But yeah. But wasn't that sort of sweet, too, when George Harrison said, like, hey, I know we like to put a George song on every album, yeah. but I have this whole collection of George songs, mm. and I would like to do my own album. And 
uh, John didn't say, hey, don't do that. He said, hey, that would be cool. That would be really great. And so, again, that doesn't fit in with, like, the contentious idea right, I, right, I had right. of the, you know, he, he was super supportive. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I think maybe I should move to England. I think people are nicer. <laughs> right. They're they're not. They're just, they're, just, they're mean, but they're, like we were Polite discussing about in it. traffic earlier right. <laughs> right george had yeah. already released yeah. a solo album but it's wonder wall right. music it's, which it's is not the one that right. everybody yeah. likes yeah. noodling which is which yeah. is uh which is his triple album that, no I, and i think this is this is how the story gets flattened and by this uh, documentary it kind of makes it more real and and messy but also nuanced that i i always thought it was like no 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 george we don't want your songs. And I right. think it was more like the Beatles became famous because of the Lennon-McCartney stuff. And George started writing songs. And they're like, well, we got to let George put some of his songs on the Beatles. But I think they all realized that's not why people were listening to the Beatles. They were the listening brand. to the yeah. Beatles for Lennon-McCartney. And so they wanted to get George involved. But even George was like, we're not going to make an album where half the songs are by George Harrison. That's never going to happen. And nor should it probably. Yeah. Right. Like that, right, that's right. my own thing, but I'll, I'll dash off this thing. That's going to probably become one of the greatest pop songs of all time. Something, <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, you can have that one, but I'll take these others into my triple album that I'm going to release. It's it's, but that's a very different dynamic than George being like, Oh man, they won't let me record my songs. That's right. not what's going on. Yeah. Paul is polite, right. but you can tell he's thinking, that's great, George. We're John Lennon and Paul McCartney. We'll write the songs. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. But then they still help him. Like George comes in with oh, yeah. his, they you know, having, about it. having never played piano much and comes with uh, Old Brown Shoe. And like he's right. sort of playing it. And then on the end record, it's not him playing the piano. He teaches it, I think, to maybe to Paul or something like that for the actual playing. Ringo comes in with his octopus's garden, which, of course, doesn't show up until Abbey Road. But George goes, oh, no, we should do this here, do this and then go there. Like he's actually helping him through it. Like I feel it's a band that like yes. helps each other through their each other songs. You know, it's not like the White right. Album, perhaps, where I think they came up with a bunch of ha- half-baked solo ideas and that's pretty much what ended up on the record because no one else wanted to add to them. I feel like they're back being a band again. Yeah. I mean, I, this crazy experiment that they're going through, it does sort of work. I mean, it doesn't keep the band together, but it does force them to kind of be a band and collaborate and mm. i mean when we get to the end and they have a concert on the rooftop which is hilarious right because nobody can see them it's just like <laughs> what like what are you doing but they are pros and they they pull it off and and the yeah. fact that uh, I, I know i'm leaping ahead to the end here but the fact that some of these songs that i have known for decades are literally just recorded on the rooftop it's like it's, I, no. ah, it, how? it's amazing i know I was like, I was struck by, like, I love how the documentary sort of like puts on, like, oh, this is the recording that ends yes. up on the album. And like, they go that into one of my favorite songs, which is Don't Let Me Down. And mm. Mal Evans just casually pouring a glass of beer for George as they're <laughs> starting to record what a song. Now, I, it, when, next time I listened to that A side or B side, it, it, it went, wound up as a single. Yeah. I have to listen because I think right this very second, Mal Evans just wandering in, pouring, pouring a, you know, it's like <laughs> pouring a glass for George. That's, I mean, this is what was so great. I mean, I, I, I was in a band in my youth. Sadly, like almost about the same age as the Beatles, which which really blows me away. They're all in their twenties, which is astounding. Yeah, late twenties here, yeah. Um, yeah. 
And what I love about it is like, like we would basically, uh, over the Christmas holidays or over spring break or something, we would rent a bunch of equipment and we'd have like seven to 10 days to record a whole album. And, uh, you know, obviously we're not the Beatles, <laughs> but what I love about it is that whatever, if you're in a band, that is pretty much what it is. And it's kind of heartwarming to see that even if you're just four college kids getting together and recording an album of original material, or the Beatles in 1969. <laughs> it's the same thing. Same, same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's it's four or five yeah. guys recording. In a, there's no separation. The P, the the sound is coming in through PA speakers. You would never make an album this way in this day and age. And and it's like well, first of all, think about music. the fact that right now we are all recording on better mics than the Beatles <laughs> yes, <right>. used <laughs> by, during by far. this thing. I know no. these, these little Bob uh, Barker I mean, mics no, from they, like. Yes, Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's exactly what I said. They have like, you know, some foam tape to them. Yeah, they're, they're even worse than the Bob Barker it mic. Is, yeah. So there's so we, five of us, which means we're better than the four track recording yeah, equipment. Yeah, it's true. We had to bring <laughs> in the second, <laughs> which is the size of a mainframe that they wheel in on the back of a truck from George's house. Okay. Bring right. in this four track. I, I do want to talk sick. about the technology here a little bit too. But I mean, my point about the rooftop concert is that in the end, you know, they are pros and they were able to kind of pull mm-hmm. something together, and 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 you see them working together. And you see them helping each other. And like that was what this experiment was meant to do. And it doesn't always work, but you get at least get to a flavor of what it must have been like in their highly collaborative period before the White Album. Talking about the technology, um, not only is it amazing that it sounds as good as it does, I, I wanted to mention uh, what's the name of the guy who they're convinced has got all the answers when it comes to recording Alex. technology? Magic, magic Alex. Alex. Magic oh, Alex. I love Magic Alex. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and he's he got. took them for so much money. Oh, I got this bass that you can turn around and it's a guitar. Can all we, these things. Can we. Oh, Can we take in a whole hour to talk about that reversible <laughs> bass? The, the, the moment that, that may be my favorite moment in the whole thing, and it's hard because there are so many great moments, is when they go to Abbey Road because they're like, this Twickenham studio is crap. We can't do they're this. They're going to Savile Row, not or, Abbey sorry, Road. You're Abbey right. Road they're is where the actual right. recording studio was. You're right. They're going to Savile Row, which is, which is where, where Apple Records is. It's, where the, it's their offices. Um. And they and and uh, Magic Alex has uh, outfitted it, and they're in there for a very short amount of time, and they're like, "No, this is not going to work." And they call it's EMI so and basically yeah. say, "Bring your stuff over. We need your stuff here because we can't record with this thing." And it's just such a great moment where where they're like, "Yeah, Alex. Oh, Alex, he's so fun to be around." And then the moment that they sit down to do business, they're like, "Oh no, uh, get the." <laughs> get the get the eight track recorder from George's house. Get the other stuff in from EMI. We're gonna make a proper studio here because this Ma- Magic Alex's stuff is garbage. And uh, that's just partly because Brian Epstein was gone. Yes. Yeah. Brian Epstein is gone. They set up Apple Records. They're like, so we're going to do this. We're going to fund all sorts of geniuses like yeah. this guy who walked in <laughs> off the street. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, what a fraud! But I do like that that the moment that they're they are down to business. They're like, oh no. Like immediate, it's almost immediate. They're like, get the other stuff in. Like, this is not going to do it. We got to, we're going to, if we're going to do this, because they've already put up with whatever it is, a week plus in the the movie studio, which is totally inappropriate. And they get to where they think they're going to be comfortable and it's totally inappropriate. And they're like, no, out, bring in the real stuff. And they very quickly bring in the stuff that they use to record all of this. And it sounds great. But um, I I just love that moment where they're, where they're very pragmatic. They're like, nope, it's not going to work. Clear it yeah, out. One of the things I loved, especially because they've been sort of messing around so much at, uh, at the previous place, uh, 
this happened because they had a huge pile of money to sit on, mm-hmm. right? Like it was okay for them to burn. <laughs> they're the Beatles a day or two. Like they're yeah. not too stressed. It's fine. Okay, there's a there's a deadline, but we made the deadline, so whatever. And like, and this kind of thing, like, oh, let's just pick up the phone and get I don't know, like a million dollars worth of equipment delivered to us the next day. And, and like, despite that, what I love is that Ring. I never noticed this before now, but on Ringo's drum kit, there's like the drum shop label. He's rented these drums. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've only ever seen Ringo Starr own one drum set. It's the classic set that he uses up yeah. until now. And I was, oh, he has a different drum set. It's because he rented them. He didn't even bother to buy new I drums. They had so much money. They had so much. Ringo. He's so just, he's just showing up to work every day. He's like, yeah, I don't know face, what's going on. His faces yeah. were amazing. His faces, his just yeah. like, oh, this isn't going so well. <laughs> this is a good yeah. deal. You know, Ringo was very concerned. The entire but, time. Yeah, rightfully so, but like not in anybody's <laughs> face either. Yeah, right. And, right, right. And, and provided a solid beat whenever it was needed. Right? Yes. Yeah. Was yeah. One person doing his job. Somebody very yeah. confident doing his job. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Brian Epstein keeps coming up, and 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 the idea, like again, I had no idea. Like I know Brian Epstein was their manager, and he died. I didn't realize, and his absence is a character here because, um, it, these there needs to be somebody to be the adult supervision here it's not that these guys aren't brilliant but they're not business people and they're also really not sort of strategists and so like they make they're songwriters and musicians and that that is you know you could be a very creative person to say here's what we're going to do we're going to shoot a documentary and we're going to do this thing we're going to go to libya and all of that but they obviously they didn't have it in them to do that they didn't want that job if they did have it in them they would have had to grow it over time but brian epstein handled it and he's gone and they are drifting and confused and you see it in this whole cockamamie thing that we ended up watching because they filmed it. But you also see it, I think in the group dynamic of uh, another one of my favorite moments in this, which is the, the realization that I had that John is the guy who wants to be in charge, but refuses all personal responsibility. And Paul is the guy who goes, really? Okay. Calls them. He's yeah. sort of I'll, the mom. I mean, it, it's yeah. He's it's like, a, okay, he's, he's just, okay. I'll do it. But it like, and he says, "I'm the second boss." And that moment hit me so hard because it's like, yeah. you want to be the boss, but you won't do any of the hard things. So I'm gonna be that guy. And and people give Paul a hard time. And yeah, I know Paul was a perfectionist, and he's telling George yes. how to play the guitar. And you probably shouldn't tell George Harrison how to play the guitar. Even <laughs> exactly. even so, even if you're Paul McCartney, you probably shouldn't do that. But like. John is just like, oh, I think we should do it this way, and then makes no effort to do anything, and 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 it falls to Paul to be like, well, we got to do something, right? It, it, I had no idea. It's amazing. It it really did. I I felt for Paul because I had always sort of, I've always been a little bit team Paul because I didn't know anything about John. Um, and then watching John, I was like, oh, John needs somebody to maybe slap him in the face every now and again. He's out of control. Right. Like John was just sort of, you know, he was just pretending to be a kid. And then Paul had to come in and be the dad and sort of like manage him, which yeah. I, 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 th- I thought was so crazy. But I, I really felt for Paul because he was just like and but he was trying to be kind about it. He was like, well, maybe we it's, should practice well, these things. It's before almost we go it's out. almost a managing up dynamic, though. Right. Because, again, he's the second boss. So he's almost managing up to John where it's like, no, John, right. what do you think about this way? <laughs> 
Right, right, right. Because because John is still brilliant. I mean, John is sort of a pain in the ass, but he's still mm. brilliant. <laughs> John, and there's, and there's no Beatles ass. without he's, him, right? But he, yeah, he's a giant pain in the ass, but he's still <laughs> yeah. he's still brilliant. <laughs> He's a pain in the ass from what we see on screen, let alone what's going on. Oh you yeah, know, you know, off yeah. camera. Just in keeping with the, with the Paul thing, like you can sort of tell, like like you said, he's like the second boss. He's like the mom, and then you know, after George leaves, and then John is like not coming by. There's that tragic scene where Paul just sort of goes, and then there were two, and the camera hangs right. on him for like thirty seconds. You can see him start yeah. to tear up, yeah. noticing that it's like like this is it. This is the end of this thing, uh, the greatest band in the world, and it's falling apart, and it's on film, and like you, you really feel for him because I think Paul knows that all four of them will probably go off and do wonderful things, but none of them will do anything as wonderful as they are doing right, right now, or as they yeah. have done, and you can just see it ending for him, and that no, it's just I, a really I, sad moment. I think that you're so right, and so like the whole culmination of this thing is when they do that rooftop concert, and so. I thought the whole time I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Paul puts up with this. I can't believe John puts up with this. I can't believe Yoko puts up with this. I can't believe anyone puts up with this. I can't believe the Harry Krishna's put up with it. Yeah, I can't believe the Harry Krishna is well, sitting honestly, here. Well, honestly, a beetle and the Harry Krishnas cannot be conducive to the kind of zen-like meditation they're aiming no. for, right? But then they get up on that rooftop, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is why they do it. Oh. Because they're so happy. I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead, but... They're so happy and they're so obviously good at it. Like they're, they, it does all come together. Like everything that oh. they thought, it comes together. I think. Well, except for the fact that they were like, "Thank God the cops interrupted us because we didn't have anything else to play." Yeah, yeah we played this song three <laughs> times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will say. I know. I was like, how many times? Like, I would be so excited to hear the Beatles in 1968 or 1969 or whenever this yeah. happened. But like, okay, I'd be like, get back four times. So, really? I mean, I've never heard this song before, but now you've played it three At times. At least it's get back, dig a pony three times. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah, oh, that would not, you, not be. You, you said that. You said the wrong thing to me because Dig a Pony is like my second favorite. <laughs> I but love I, that song. But, but, love it. But I, uh, I two will, of us, then. I, whatever. Okay. I, no, Two of Us is like yeah, my third favorite too. song, but my Man. first favorite song is uh, Why Don't We Do It in the Road, which is just the same <laughs> Same lyrics over and over. Yep. So I'm a, I'm a bad Beatles so, song judge. I, I think the truth is, and this is one of the reasons why I think Get Back is so extraordinary, is not only do we know, we know these people... We know the music. We know what the output of this is going to be. We know this. Th th it's going to be not not their best album. It's going to sit on a shelf for a year. They're going to bring Phil Spector, right? Like, it, it doesn't kind of really work, but we get to see all of this happening. It also struck me while watching it, though, that any group dynamic placed under this much scrutiny would look like this, it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, literally yeah. any dynamic of four people who work together, if they made a documentary and... <laughs> <laughs> and had 50 years to think about the the memos that they wrote during that three weeks in 1969, we would all have the same opinions. And that's what makes it almost kind of universal, even though it's the Beatles and they're the best band in the world, you know, of all time and all of that. It's still like they're just people and they're trying to do their job. And any yeah, of agree. us, I think, in any of our relationships would be laid bare if they were put under this level of scrutiny. It's ridiculous. I I totally agree. And in fact, these are guys in their late 20s. They they are idiots. 
basically. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. right. in your twenties, right, right. you're not great. Like they they are pop stars. Like they are huge, uh, bigger than Jesus is the saying. And uh, to expect them to be able to manage themselves well is, I think, asking for <laughs> a little too much because I don't think it's been nurtured given their uh, their you know their their background and, mm-hmm. and what's happening with the band kind of thing. But they do a remarkably good job of actually trying to work together. Like Paul is a bit of, he's overreaching. Oh, I, he's he's I, bossing I, people I totally around, but I think he's you. doing a good job. Go ahead, Amy. No, 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 no. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I totally agree with you that I think like for people in their mid twenties managing a conflict in such a huge thing, I thought that they did an overwhelmingly right? good job. Pretty I good. really did. I really did. I mean, I, I I am almost 50 and my marriage isn't going this well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Oh, no. no I was honestly, I, mean, I was no. about to have a zinger that uh, my, yeah. my joke was going to be that I've had bigger fights with your husband. I see what this podcast wanna... is about now. Uh, <laughs> and, and you're great friends. I mean, yeah, but okay. no, I, I, I found them. So overwhelmingly civil, and this might be something that we'll get to later, but um, I want to talk about the overwhelmingly civility of the police. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but we'll yeah. get there. For we'll sure. get there. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, I, I just, I found them so understanding. Like, it, it just was not what I expected. I, I, I really felt like they were humans who felt like, we don't get along and we don't work well together right. and it's not working and but it wasn't ugly i felt they well, they were so supportive when, of each other when george quits he just says i'm leaving and yeah. you know maybe when they go over to george's house uh and they're like oh we're sort of worried about george and, and there's that there's that little t- title that's like it didn't go well i'm like well I, wow yeah, yeah, what right. was that like but uh right. in the end you know he just is like no it's not working i'm gonna go and honestly all of them at this point are on top of the world they can walk away and and they do right. and, and but it's it's all yeah it's not it's not poisonous it's just like mm-hmm. they're having trouble working together and and they're pressured to put be on this, as I think Monty said, this pace that right. I, I've seen a couple people in the aftermath of this documentary point out, you know, modern, maybe because of the Beatles, modern pop stars do not have to be on the treadmill where they release something every six months. Mm-hmm. And, right. and they are allowed to do things like record an album and then tour and then go do a solo project and then come back and record another album two years later. And the Beatles, like we got all this amazing stuff from the Beatles in a very short time period, but it's probably also what, like if they had only had to do an album every couple of years, they might've gone another five or 10 years, but they were in this pressure cooker, maybe self-imposed, maybe imposed by Brian Epstein. But regardless, in the end, like they, it was unsustainable. And that that's the other thing that struck me is like, not only did they just release the White Album, but when this is over, they immediately start recording Abbey Road. Like, like immediately. immediately. Like yeah. that next month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, just, just as a... I'm just putting this out there. If I release Hey Jude as a single, you will not hear from me. Okay. For, for a year, yeah, at least. Yeah. You'll rest on your laurels. Years, 50 years. I think yeah. that's it. I and think when I'm they're good. not recording <laughs> albums, they're doing movies. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, not Let It Be, but like Magical Mystery Tour, which was, by the way, a terrible movie, which shows <laughs> that they're good at music and little else. Yeah. 
I, I want to talk about Michael Lindsay Hogg a little bit because he's sort of the one that sort of is pushing the, you know, we have to do this because Ringo's got his, his film coming in. Um, what's fascinating is that like this happens just a month, less than a month after they he shoots Rock, Rolling Stone's Rock and Roll Circus, another movie that never came out the way at all until 1996, which is fabulous. And then th- all throughout this, because John Lennon was a part of that and played with an amazing super group with Keith Richards, Eric Clapton and Mitch Mitchell from the Jimi Hendrix experience and he he tells me early on that oh we don't have you introducing the Rolling Stones and so all throughout the entire month of January when he keeps saying and now the Rolling Stones you know he keeps doing yeah. that and, and I love that because if, if you've seen Rock the, uh, Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus mm-hmm. and finally all it is is John Lennon going and now <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I just love that Lindsey Hogg is getting is pressuring John Lennon to do an intro for him, and that's all he gives him at the very end of it. I love how much John is given to just saying random things. Yeah. Um, one of the <laughs> things that led to the Paul is dead rumor is something at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, where it sounds like he's saying "I buried Paul," but it turns out he's actually saying cranberry sauce. <laughs> and for a long time, I thought that's weird. Why would someone just say cranberry sauce? But watching Get Back, John you is absolutely <laughs> someone who would just say yep. cranberry sauce. Right. You got this weird uh, insight into their process, which I don't think is unusual because I remember reading that about people, you know, other musicians where they just sing nonsense to sort of fill in yeah and you know the beatles sort of made the nonsense work in the song yeah yeah, yeah. Pe- people talk more about nonsense how- than you'd expect yeah 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 <laughs> people talk about how it's astonishing that paul came up with get back in a second like he does and it is amazing it, it is. It, it but is, it's but just it's- as fascinating watching them work through the lyrics bit by bit bringing oh in my, the political stuff oh getting gosh. rid of the political stuff getting rid of yeah. it yeah they they brought it in they got rid of it uh Yoko darn darn socks. She paid the gas bill again. <laughs> like it was, cra- but th- th- that was was so crazy. Like get back, and and so like I said, because I'm forty nine. Like uh, the, the Beatles were bigger before I was born than after. But so I learned everything after. But like learning get ba- like get back is such an iconic song, and seeing just Yoko just reading the paper while they're <laughs> Not, pounding well, out. While Paul McCartney so is in, is literally yes. in about five minutes inventing <laughs> the entirety of Get yes. Back. Well, yeah. he, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't the entirety. It's 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 the backbones of it, though. It's the it, backbone. It's, 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 yeah. it's the backbone, but what I wanted to talk about yeah. was the process that takes forever of hammering down lyrics. Like, is it Loretta Marsh? No. Loretta Martin? Yeah. No. And somehow, oh, they, he settles on Loretta Modern thought she was right. a woman but she was another man and that's modern that's such a good line and, well and the tucson arizona i actually looked this up the child we mentioned earlier linda's linda's young linda's oldest child was born in tucson arizona and i'm like well that's why paul pulled tucson arizona yeah. out of his hat at some point but yeah no it's it's monty you're right the, one of the things that's ma- amazing about this as a creative document is you can see the magic when it comes together. And that is when Get Back goes from being little bits to being something recognizably as Get Back yeah. in a very short amount of time. But then on top of that, which is the moment that everybody wants to talk about in the creative process, which is that hallelujah magical moment. Okay, yes, 
it is amazing. But you know what happens after that? A lot of hard work to yeah. get it right. And they and they struggle and you see them struggle. I was amazed yeah. by the fact that they sing nonsense too, because that shows you like, first thing we're gonna get the music right, and then we'll figure out the words. And he's got some of the words, but it's like right. you know, it's like what are you even doing? It's like it doesn't matter what I'm saying, I'm just doing the music now, okay? But it's it's so fun to watch, and then like I know there there were a couple things. There was one thing in Get Back where Paul was like, speed it up half a second. And I was like, oh, Paul, oh, yeah. you're being a you're being a bitch. But no, <laughs> he was right. He was right. Like yeah, speeding it up too slow. half a second. Yeah, it was a tiny bit too slow. And he was absolutely right. But then there were some things where he's like, no, like I remember. Um, so I hate the song, The Long and Winding Road. And I had to hear it like 5,000 yeah. <laughs> times during this thing. But uh, I, I respect that it's a good song and that it's well written and it's beautiful. But like I had to hear it 5,000 times. But it's but, long um, and winding. It's like, <laughs> just sing. Take that, McCartney. <laughs> Paul was like, oh, no, it should be this. And I'm like, you're going to change your mind. I know how this goes. <laughs> like, so it was sort of yeah. fun to hear the things that you know, Paul or John thought would work and didn't and were changed. Yes. Yes. Because so we know the outcome, that. right? So yes, we can, yes, we can yes, be yes. like, oh, this, yeah. this is not going to work. We're like, oh, yes. Yeah, oh, no, I, no, I'd go with, no. I, I know music. Nope, you nope, should go nope, with that nope. one. That's going to be. Uh, yeah. I'd go to a G chord there. Mm. I mean, I, I don't even know what a G chord is. is I there, found does it, one I found exist? A, I found a real thrill of watching <laughs> this being like, well, well, just do this. Like the thing that the Beatles are about to invent in front of me. <laughs> Obviously, this is a change. I'm and smarter it's like, oh, than no, you, wait, like, guys. Yeah. Just bring in Billy Preston. Yes, Billy, <laughs> Billy oh Preston my. will solve all of these. Oh songs my gosh, for can, you. can yeah. we talk about poor Billy Preston? Oh my uh, god, did they, did they hold him hostage? I mean, they didn't let him go. I mean, poor Billy. Well, he Preston. did have other things to do. That, that that's the amazing yeah. dynamic. He right? pretty like, happy to hey, me. Hey, yeah. Billy Preston's in town, and they're like, "Oh my god, get him in here!" Because he he had recorded for them before, but they're like, "Get him in here!" And he walks in. And oh my god, he sits down at the organ and starts playing, and it's transformative. It's like it's night and day. It, it's so much better. Oh my, yeah. my gosh, it, he's so positive, and yeah. he has such a good influence on them. It, and, it's yeah. uh, it's amazing. I mean, I always liked his contributions, but seeing yeah. it, it's like he was also providing like glue. He was providing yes, some yes. focus for everybody. He was taking the weight off a little bit by being and able to yeah. be an extra even, contributor. Yeah. Right. Maybe even just his presence made them have a little bit more decorum. I think so. That's what, yeah. like, That's yeah. what they Definitely. always said. Yeah. yeah that yeah. they had to play nice because there was a visitor. Yeah. They didn't want to yeah. the squander visitors. They didn't want to squander <laughs> Billy. Yeah. They have so much respect for him, too. And they've got so much respect for like old music. And what well, he was playing for Little Richard at the time, I think, when. He just come off. And he was in town, gig. so they got yeah. him to come he was, over. And he got him, and yeah. like but they, they didn't are... let him leave. No, they didn't let on. him leave. Oh my they, gosh, they I was s- worried about Billy Preston. <laughs> they may as well have gone back to like little English school uniform, boy school uniform sort of yeah. stuff, and being can, like, okay, prim and proper. Yeah, can now I? Can Billy's I just? Here, we're gonna do the I, right thing. I just want to point yeah. out how like impressed I am that in the days before text messages or anything like that, how remarkably quickly it is to get EMI to deliver their stuff and to get Billy Preston 
destined to just arrive oh, yeah. in. It's just like, it's like it's just the like Beatles have, yeah. have summoned you. <laughs> it's like there's a be- yeah. there's a Beatles signal or something. Oh, the Beatles need me. I gotta go and <laughs> go to EMI and play some piano for them. But like it happens remarkably yeah. quick. If I I'm EMI, I have somebody standing by at all times in case the Beatles want anything. <laughs> you never yeah, right. know. <laughs> Absolutely, I, what, I whatever like it is. The- I do like that Billy Preston is not overly impressed with him. Like, he just shows up and he's like, okay, guys, what's the gig? Yeah, he's, like, a, yeah, pe- he's a peer of theirs, basically, yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. He's sort of laughing at them. Uh, I think, yeah. uh, I think I read that Billy Preston is the only non-Beatle ever to be credited. Yeah, I think Yoko sings on uh, a bungalow bill. Yeah, but I think that I think that that she's not like featuring Yoko Ono, whereas they are featuring Billy Preston, which is a classic. That's how all songs are labeled today, right? When somebody sits in, but they're like (laughs) featuring Billy Preston. And I I knew that, and that's how I knew him was right reading the labels on Past Masters Volume One and on uh, Mm -hmm. on Let It Be, and then and then you see him sweep in, and then when he goes away because he has like a gig or something for a couple of days, and they're kind of lost without him. Right, and yeah. then he comes back. And it's like, oh, thank God, Billy Preston's back. And then they're like, maybe he should be the fifth Beatle. And there's that moment where everybody's that. like, mm, mm, legal issues, maybe not. But I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> maybe he should be the fifth Beatle. Maybe people, he, should. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely should be. And it's John too, strung out on heroin, being yes. like, uh, maybe this guy's probably we're better, better with this guy addition. here. Yeah, yeah, I way better. It. It's so great. Oh my way, gosh, way you guys. Yeah. So I didn't. Okay. This is going to be a terrible admission. So John is strung out on heroin during yeah. this. I didn't even realize that. during the uh, during the Twickenham part. One hundred percent. The, t- the yeah. Twickenham. This okay. is this is the era. Apparently, I I, I mean, read I, about I, this after I, the fact. I felt like like that. There was the the pot phase and the LSD phase, but this this apparently coincides with the snorting heroin phase for John and Yoko. And then mm. and then and then he wrote his cold turkey song later about going okay. off of it. Uh, but this is they were they were uh, in in deep with the uh, with yeah. s- with snorting, not shooting, but snorting heroin at this point. And in my opinion, huh. you know, right after George leaves, they cut back to the studio and everybody's just going crazy in there. Yeah. 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 There's. There's cocaine in that. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Well, so I, I saw somebody point out, uh, going back to the rooftop at the end, that when the cops come on the roof, John <laughs> gives Yoko that. a big hug, and somebody's like, that is a here-take-my-drugs-if-they-arrest-me mm. hug that he's giving her there. Take oh my, my heroin. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even think that. Oh, I my didn't God. I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's what I read on the internet. You can't, you can't, you know, you got to read the internet sometimes, and, and that's <laughs> what popped what? out. The cops didn't seem ready to search. Them. Okay. The oh, cops, the, the the let's cops talk seemed, about. Can we talk about the, the cops? cops? Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. The I, cops I, were terrified <laughs> to be doing anything. As an attorney, I <laughs> love the cops because oh. <laughs> this is not how cops act in America. Uh, we've got um, thirty complaints. There's thirty yeah. complaints. Thirty, 30 complaints happened. down at the station. He, he well, goes good, on and good. on about the thirty complaints. It, there the were there were two. Okay, there were two. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, there were not thirty. There were two. But he's going to say there were thirty because there were lots. There was probably one. And then also, the, who designed the chin strap for the bobby hat? Please, oh, what are you doing? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god. It, first of all, in the area in the Era of COVID, it's disgusting. <laughs> sucking but, on that chin strap. Uh, yeah, why is that one kid sucking on it Gross. all the time? Because it's right at his it's mouth. It's right there. I know, I know. Every <laughs> time I see it, I want to somebody to suck on it. Yeah. It goes right. It's right. Uh, it's it's mm, pacifier so for I, cops. 
I had commented on that on John's podcast, and someone sent me an article about the kid who was the 19-year-old cop at the time and what he looks like now. And he looks horribly British. I mean, he's sure. son. Yeah, I mean, he looks exactly how you'd think he'd look. But yeah, like the, the cops were so exceedingly, they were like, could we be obliged to come up to the roof? And then I loved Debbie. I oh. think her name was Debbie. Debbie. Debbie's job was just to repeat everything the cops said back to them. <laughs> and um, just to buy That's time. So so, she was and, like, and their their whole like, oh, no, we got a thing. We'll work on it. We got to get up there. Mm-hmm. It's so textbook of like, oh, just to so lay them, just yeah. to lay them. So good. I think her name is Debbie. I, I, I don't want to get it wrong because I would like to watch a whole thing on Debbie. You could but, um, you could say this about the whole thing, which is that the subtitles are a character in this. Not only yes. because they whenever they play something, you and it's not always immediate, but then they'll put up the writing credit and it's like, boom, that's what that song is, right? <laughs> but yeah. here, they introduce the cops, which is amazing. Here are the cops. And they also introduce the box in the lobby, which is one yeah. of my favorite things, which is like, <laughs> hidden camera in quotes, which everybody yes. knows there's a camera in there. But then the cops come in, the cops don't seem to know. Yeah. And so George can- Martin walks in, looks at it, Smirks. <laughs> but the cops don't. That's so handsome. the cops are down there cooling their heels in the lobby while they're being shot on film. It's uh, it's so good. Like, it's so hilarious because on one level, it is the push and pull between like, it's the freaking Beatles, like, let them go. And it's like, oh, yes, but this haberdasher down the street is concerned <laughs> that his clients are going to be scared away by the rock music coming from way up high somewhere yeah, in it, the neighborhood. It's like, and I know they don't know it at the time. But it's like, guys, this is a historic moment. Please just let yeah. it go. Let it's it be. Yeah. Okay. See, let it be. I, I, felt, I felt like they totally knew it and they just sort of wanted to get up there. And then once <laughs> they did get up there, they, they, they just because of the weight, the weight yeah. limit thing, they did just stand there. They weren't. You need. They needed the you know, third cop I, who was not I, having I, any <laughs> of this nonsense. Yeah, he, he it was, was a little older it, and he was not having. But he also didn't go up there. Yeah. really. And, it's also and, a setup, right? Like, I mean, the whole premise right. here is we're going to get shut down. We want to be transgressive. Exactly. We want to get shut down. And the cops are very much like, okay, we got to go up there, but you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to like tear the speakers out of the, you know, I'm not going to pull the guitar off the hands of a beetle. Like I'm, I just want to, you know, just stand here and be like, you guys should probably stop. And then they do stop. And it, it's this funny kind of mutual, like, you know, we're going to play until we're finished, but we know you're there. So we're going to stop, but we want you there because we want to be cool that the cops got. Yeah. Called. <laughs> that, yeah. Yes. Yes. And that, the- that was, that was half of it that they wanted to be. And, um, I think I said earlier, they, were sort of done. They didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> and they were like, we can say no more that get the back, cops. Please. Yeah. They were they were like, we can say that we stopped because of the cops. Yeah. And in Let It Be, the cops are, I think, shown to shut the show down, which doesn't yeah, really didn't happen. Ha- no. That didn't really it's happen. It's funny because Mal Evans unplugs George's amp. And George, George just goes, what are you doing? I just plugs it back right on. back in. Yeah. I, I, and like the last two songs, basically, they go like immediately. Paul just launches right into the next. So the cops don't have a chance to uh, to shut down the show. The funny thing is, at 42 minutes long, it's probably the longest Beatles concert ever. Right. They only oh, absolutely. Half an hour concert. So they played a lot longer than they would have done back in the olden days. Yeah. I was looking at a Beatles concert that happened in Seattle. Uh-huh. And they played two shows that day. 
each show 24 minutes. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. My uh, my father-in-law went to the Beatles Shea Stadium concert, the famous Shea Stadium concert. Yeah. And he oh, said, wow. wait, 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 my father did too. Oh, that's great. Well, maybe they maybe they were both there. <laughs> yeah. What well, what what my father-in-law says is you couldn't see them. You couldn't hear them, and it didn't last very long. There are John Bonham drum solos in the 1970s that lasted longer than right. most Beatles yeah. concerts. They couldn't yep. hear themselves, and J- either John or George tunes his guitar in the middle of a song. It's so <laughs> yeah. great. It's so great. And wow, yet, I love those old and yet the final recordings are actually pretty good, <laughs> and, yep. they, and they use them. Um, I... I I'll mention at this point too that this this documentary is full of these things, and I know that some of them are probably because the the people who made this is Spinal Tap saw the original uh, mm-hmm. when it was when it was out there, and then as a bootleg, and it was around the original cut of this uh, that was the the um, what the one hour thing that they yeah. put out, and then suppressed immediately. Um, but I don't think it's as much about that influence as it is just about what being rock bands and being musicians are like and having people around who want to tell you what they want to hear and having people be clueless. But I swear there are like 15 things that happen in, in Get Back that are right <laughs> out of this is Spinal Tap. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing how many times somebody says something or or an obsequious yes man says something. And, yeah. and, I, and I just would look at Lauren and I'd be like... Spinal Tap again. <laughs> like, yeah. What's the name of the guy who really loves hitting the hammer on the anvil? That's Mal Evans. Mal Evans. I love that guy. I don't. I don't. I don't love him. But you should. You joy, should love him. He's a good man. The, he's a very. The joy good man. on his face when he's getting to hit that hammer is amazing. Like he looks like a kid who's just stumble into a room full of nothing but candy he was he everything so to that happy. band he's like there he's yeah. there he's a road manager he gets stuff he pours beer in the middle of recording of oh, uh, yes, songs yes. that wind up on the album like he's yes. and then, like he yeah, Mal, can you, the lyric changes that was, yeah yeah, yeah uh, that's yeah. what i love is basically oh, now yeah. can you document this and he's like writing down yeah, lyrics the, so like the secretarial you know. work here is amazing because the beatles are just jamming and riffing and then around them are all these people who are writing down what the words that they say and yeah. writing down the chords and trying to because because although they've got the recordings running, which is good, but it's like you can see that while they're in their creative process, Paul McCartney's not going to sit there going, "Okay, let let it be." Yeah, okay. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. it's not. It was going to be get it, but no, no, it's going to be let it, and we'll cross that out. And can I get some white out? No, he's just going to sing, and someone is going to be like crossing it out, and like, oh, he says this now. Okay, and uh, that's going around, and you can see their support system all around them of like, oh, write that down. That was pretty good. Better write that right. down. Yeah. But weren't you surprised? I was surprised at how much deference they gave to producers and other people. And I was like, you're Lennon and McCartney. Why are you asking like George Martin or uh, I mean, anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Johns, yeah. Why, yeah. Why are you asking anyone? You're Lennon and McCartney. Why are you asking anyone? Because like, they're not Lennon and McCartney to them. To just them, John, they're just, just John and Paul. I'm just me, and I'm trying to do a thing, and I need some help, and I love it. Yeah. I don't know if they thought ever thought of themselves as brilliant, like engineers or producers, right? They were songwriters and performers, so they relied on. George Martin and Glenn Johns. Yeah, I feel like they knew more about film stock than they knew about microphones. You know, yeah. when Paul and George are talking about well, 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter. There's several, have opinions. There's several yeah. moments where George is talking about film where you're like, that guy's totally going to just turn into a film producer when he quits the Beatles, which yeah. is what yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. But as musicians, like, 
somebody brings in a, a slide steel guitar from Hawaii and they're like, Ooh, what's this? Yeah. yeah. And right. two yeah. days later, they're playing it brilliantly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. They're like, Oh, we got the cheap one. And if but he's then, any good, we'll get the good one. It's like, yeah. really? You're the Beatles. Just get the good one. Ringo, can you rent this at the place where you got your drums? <laughs> right. But then they're asking like some kind of straight laced white, white guy, is this okay? You know, right. like, and yeah. I'm just like, you're the Beatles. And well, what's great about it is that you can yeah. tell like the difference between the Twickenham sessions and when they go to the studio is that like yes. in, in the film studio, they're all still very far apart. All the all their support crew are like on the other side of the studio or just in behind like fixing scenery and stuff. And then once they're in the actual studio, it's not only Billy Preston that sort of brings the group together, but like everyone is sort of required to be closer together mm-hmm. because of the surroundings. And I think just they- the space, yeah. The, yeah. Whole t- the whole creative team just gets much more into it. Yeah, Glenn Johns, by the way, went on to produce all sorts of amazing albums in the 70s. And he was kind of mistreated by the Beatles. First off, he at one point, he's like, I got to go to California. And they're like, mm, or you could stay here. <laughs> um, but then the story is that he then compiled two separate versions of these sessions as an album, both of which were rejected by the band. And that's what led to Phil Spector uh, releasing his album, which, by the way, then Paul McCartney never forgave uh, the Beatles for approving the Phil Spector stuff to the point where in the early 2000s, Paul McCartney released a spite album called Let It Be Naked, where he removed all of the Phil Spector stuff and used some different tracks and had a different track listing because he was so unhappy yeah. about uh, about what happened to Let It Be. Um, however, for the release of this documentary, they released a completely remastered version of the actual Let It Be that includes the Phil Spector stuff, although arguably in the background a little bit more than maybe I, it was. I wish they would release the Glyn Johns version. I, I know, think it's right? really interesting <laughs> that they're recording an album that they then reject. Like Twice. They're recording an album called Get Back, but no, we don't want it. And they're recording a movie, Let It Be, that society has rejected yes. as it gets replaced. <laughs> I I liked Glyn Johns. I thought he was yeah. doing, he's oh, yeah. doing his he's job. Working he's hard. trying to do his thing and it's like, okay, there's weird stuff happening and I am not in control of a lot of it, <laughs> but no. Yeah, but once George Martin best, shows, you know. once George Martin shows up, doesn't don't things get better? They do, they do. They do. <laughs> well, he was the he was the big boss. That there's a moment, and George Martin reminds me of the manager in this is Spinal Tap too. I think that I, I actually think that Tony Hendry Tony Hendra used George Martin's accent as his model for that. Yeah. it's the same accent but uh yeah george martin shows up and it's like oh thank god we've got some adult supervision here i think the beatles are thinking which is like please george <laughs> help us out here and of course george martin famously does not get credited on the final let it be either no. which he, he commented famously it should say what is it produced by george martin and overproduced, overproduced. by Phil <laughs> amazing uh but yeah it does it does kind of perk up when when you could see like these guys are not super geniuses. They are brilliant musicians and songwriters and they need help. And that they're so powerful and so big that it becomes harder to give them help. And not like they were divas and were not accepting help. It's, I think just people were John is actively asking for help yeah. several times. Yeah. yeah. He needs somebody in, in song. He sings, yeah. he sings help at several points. Yeah. <laughs> help. But it, it's hard, somebody. right? Because they're so famous at this point. And, and so the lifelines, when you throw them a lifeline, when Billy Preston walks in, they're like, Oh, 
<laughs> Thank God somebody's here to help us. And Billy Preston doesn't go, oh, it's the Beatles. He just goes, hey, dudes, and then starts to play. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, hey, what, what's it? It's an F? You got <laughs> great. it. Great. And then he does something brilliant. And they're like, oh, thank goodness we got somebody who we can do this with. Um, it's, it, it is... That, that power dynamic is part of it, right? Which is like, you don't want to tell the Beatles what to do, but the Beatles desperately need to be told what to do. Yeah, that, that's exactly <laughs> it. They actually need to be told what to do. Yeah. They're, they're not good at managing yeah. them. And John won't do it. And John won't I do it. I found that which, fascinating. Which gets into Paul again having to do it. And Paul has already got, built up a little bit of a reputation because he's a perfectionist about his songs and he wants you to play it just his way. And that makes George angry. But, you know, somebody has to... Somebody's oh got to step up. Somebody. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is my entire marriage. Like, <laughs> oh, God. We're not here for this, Amy. Yeah, Podcasting no, no. No, as you will listen. therapy. I'm a big believer <laughs> yeah. in it. I, I love that. There, I saw an interview with Peter Jackson uh, and he, about this, and he was talking about how, like, George Harrison. It, it's interesting because he's the most spiritual of all the four Beatles, right. but he's also the most pragmatic. Yeah. And he's always that guy just like, oh, we'll do Libya. No, that's not going to happen. What about this? Oh, no, that won't happen. Like, he's very much a realist. <laughs> oh, I love it's it. A, well, he's that's, He's an interesting character. That's why George is the one who wrote a song complaining about the enormous taxes they had to pay, <laughs> yeah, which right. is why they created Apple Music in the first place right. to, to, to try to hide the money from the government. Yep, I know. I hope we don't have to cancel George. He had he was friends with Eric Clapton. He was probably he seems like he was probably a Tory or something uh, like that. It's no. like no, nope, nope. He's perfect. He's just a rich. He's just him. a rich guy who didn't want to pay his taxes. That's yeah, all. that's exactly that's exactly. So it. we'll go with that. I wanted to mention. Um, I know that thousands of books have been written about it and everybody's talked about it forever, but the John Lennon, Paul McCartney creative dynamic. It is fascinating. It is, you know, as somebody who is always like, is this a Paul song? Oh, this is a John song. Oh. To see them collaborate, and John is yes. not at his best, but to see them collaborate. And also I realized something, I got a little more insight into those two guys because they're both brilliant songwriters the fact that they were childhood friends and created a band together what are the chances that you have two people who are this brilliant who ended up being collaborators like this but they're so also so different and they're different as songwriters and at this point what i really i finally realized how i feel about these two guys which is i always liked paul as a songwriter better with an asterisk that was like he would write songs that felt like what I I describe them as like something you'd hear in a carnival in the 1930s in England, like <laughs> yeah. oldie stuff, which apparently <laughs> apparently they referred to as Paul's granny music. Yeah. But that's about right. And, and and yet he was such a smooth, almost you know less rock, more pop songwriter. And mm-hmm. I think I think Paul was a more talented songwriter than John. But you know what? I think John was a a more perceptive like tonally and he added a a a fuzziness and a, like a like a like not a fuzzy like soft and fuzzy like a, a roughness like he he yeah, would he sandpaper would, like like he would he would yeah he would rough up or, or or put some feedback in the in the speaker and he would he would he would rough up Paul's compositions and make them better by taking some of the smoothness out of them and you see it in a couple places here and it's magical because Paul's like oh here's a super smooth thing and John's like and then here's this spiky thing we're gonna stick in it and it's like oh my god that's brilliant right like you need those two things together and when you see what happened afterward paul a lot of paul songs post beatles they're just super sappy and they're not not bad they're brilliant and they're earworms but they're sappy (laughs) like uh the song getting better 
where John's contributions are things like it couldn't get much worse. No worse. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it is. And, and, and you see it here several times where Paul is going on and John says, well, what about this? And, and it's like, oh my God. Yes. Like that, that mix and match, that sweet and sour uh, or sweet and salty, whatever it is that's going on there. Um, it's so brilliant. And then I think also Paul being second boss does that with John too, where like in, I, I know it was, it was before the, these sessions, but a great example is a day in the life where John's got his big spacey number. And then the bridge is Paul McCartney. And it's like, Oh yeah, that really works. These two guys, anyway, these two guys were made for each other. And that's part of the sadness of the Beatles breaking up as they're doing here is you can see how perfect, not only are they both brilliant, but they're both good at different things and they help the other one's songs be better by p- applying some of their creative magic to it. It's really, this, this really came i mean i thought some of those thoughts before but seeing them as regular human beings working on music made me realize just how brilliant that dynamic is i don't th- i mean i i think john i i get the impression that that john didn't think this was very good in retrospect he would go on like oh it's just like terribly recorded and yeah, it was but awful he acted and everything like such a child during the he thing. did <laughs> and i i feel like it was like uh, maybe he was kind of acting out to sort of separate himself from the beatles i think at this this time he's still like very much enjoying the creative process and the songs and having fun playing with those four those with the other three guys again you know i i think i think john probably put on an act more um oh, yeah. uh, post beatles and maybe even during the beatles i think a lot more i i think this shows that he was enjoying i love that mm-hmm. the gritted teeth version of two of us oh yeah where he and paul oh, I harmonized love that. i love that i love nev- that <laughs> never opening their mouths at all singing they the whole just song gritted their teeth through yeah. that. so weird. i love and just, it's one of my favorite songs so it's yeah. super fun and they do all uh, they do that same song in like a bunch of wacky accents too yes, yeah they yes, do yes, they yes, they're I just fresh it. back from india they do an indian accent they do a, a very upper crust accent on our yeah. way oh, home the, the, yeah. grit, the gritted teeth one though and then the gritted I, teeth one yeah one of my favorite songs no that so. like i said that when they're screwing around you really get the sense of like well first off these guys love each other and they've been doing this for years and they've known each other since they were kids right and, and it's not all poison and stuff and i do think though the dynamic ultimately is like everybody else was feeling uncomfortable and paul was holding it together and isn't that the story right is that in the end paul's the one who breaks up the beatles because he was the one holding it together. So when he gave no, up, that was that's the story. But Paul, when Paul announced that the Beatles were over, it's because the other three had left. They're already yeah. over. Right, right. Like the, right. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I did not know before about, about the recording of Let It Be is if you, le- you, you might wonder if you know Let It Be pretty well, that there are, there's um, a song on Let It Be that doesn't really get recorded here. And it's I Me Mine, which mm-hmm. they, they practice, but it doesn't get recorded. And if you if you look it up, you'll discover I Me Mine is literally the last song recorded by the Beatles. It was recorded a year later for the Phil Spector uh, version of the album. And at that point, John doesn't appear on it because John had already quit. <laughs> right. Yeah. John was already gone. And they're like, well, 
and then there were three, I guess, and they recorded it. So yeah, and like Spectre had to like loop it, I think, because it was only like a minute and a half long. Yeah. So they, I think they had to loop the the first and second verses again or something like that. Like yeah, a lot of this like the dig it, uh, where right. it just comes out of this this epic long jam. They use about a minute and a half of that on the album. It's it's quite something when you think about how how many like you know the one after nine oh nine and uh, across the universe, which is a what came out in nineteen sixty eight as part of a uh, charity thing from John. I mean, right. despite all their like you know the grand illusions of having fourteen songs ready, they they maybe got seven no, they're, together. They're, scra- they're scraping that. That is definitely yeah. something that you notice as you're going, and, and then you look at that album, which is not very well regarded. Um, it's got hits on it. You know, it, it does have. Sorry, Amy, long and winding road, but it's got Love it. It, it, you know it's got let it be and get back, especially that we know, and there are a bunch of other fun tracks on there, but they're they're trying real hard, and that's why you end if up I with release an album like that that's not well regarded. <laughs> yeah, you will. Again, I mean, sure, but you're not the but you're not the Beatles, right? You're not right. the Beatles. Yeah, that's how I feel about Ringo as a songwriter. Sure, he only wrote Octopus's Garden. <laughs> Octopus's Garden is a world-class earworm uh, that a lot of bands yeah. never recorded a song as I, good as. I right. used to sing that right. to my kids when oh. we were putting them to bed, right? Like it's Oh it's, my gosh, we were a yellow submarine family. We, That's we so, were more uh, Octopus's Garden and yeah, we were uh, a yellow and submarine, Blackbird. but so we're 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 Ringo people. That's yeah, I mean, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Ringo is Ringo speaks to the kids. He connects with the kids. Yeah, because they're easy to sing. Yeah. Uh, that, that's well, also also true. Uh, Dig it is a just a jam. Maggie May is a traditional. One after nine oh nine is literally a song they wrote as teenagers that they brought back yeah. out, which is I think the direct directly led to a Spinal Tap. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so the, I mean they're they're kind of desperate for material here. That is part of the fun of it, but yet also they're brilliant and they make it. They make it work more or less. Like again, I would much rather see the documentary that showed them recording, uh, you know, revolver. revolver. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing, right? But we don't get that one. We get this one, yeah. and we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to settle for it. But it's it's uh, pretty pretty good. I'll take I it. I am very I'm very fond of the album Let It Be because it came out on the day I was born. Oh Aww. man. Yeah, they broke up by the time I was born. Just barely, but they did. So They broke up by the time I was born, too. Let It Be came yeah. out after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but you had a release. You were, you were the end of the window. You, the window yeah. of Beatles closed on the day you were born. So I mentioned They will not, they Shall Not Grow Old, I think, with, which is that World War One documentary that Peter mm-hmm. Jackson did, where we all the fil- footage we have of the early days of film is playing at the wrong frame rate, and it makes everybody, it's like Babe Ruth right. hitting the home run, and then he's like, and it's like, that's not it, you're playing the film. So they they interpolated the frame rate, and they slowed it down, and they colorized it, and they made it look like it was real. Well, they don't have to do that with Get Back, although they did do a lot of processing, because it was 16-millimeter film, as is pointed out at some point. It's like, this is crap. We couldn't, well, it's like, oh, 35 millimeters too expensive. We had to do 16. But it it's been all been processed. It looks great. They process. They were, had all that audio running, and they had um, Giles Martin, George Martin's son, process all of the audio from those sessions. And as a result, it feels so real. And you get yeah. these people who were legends and who are much older than us, or at least they're all uh, thirty years older than us, right? Because uh, they're thirty, and we're all getting born or about to be born. Um, and yet here, they're just people. They're just people doing stuff. Right. And like that's the right. one of the powers of having that that footage and syncing it up to the audio. And yeah, there's more audio than video. So they have a bunch of those moments where they have conversations where you never see the people's lips moving because they don't match. They don't actually have video for that. But still, it feels like they're human beings 
just in a moment. And that's so powerful when all we thought of them as is these, like you said, um, like mythological figures almost like right yeah right. they're not, Never they're like not and they're, right. they're also like they don't feel like it's it's, it's actually a fascinating anthropological study like you know these are just right. people talking in the year 1969 and not saying things like groovy and all this right. like <laughs> like it, it feels remarkably current like yeah, just except- their, their behavior their their dialogue their actions it just feels like this could this could be happening yesterday except for their clothes, which I would like oh, to just discuss briefly. God, oh my God. George's yes. boots. George's boots. George yeah. Harrison. Every- Lauren was sitting there going, I want to be George Harrison for Halloween. Oh, oh my God. It's a fire hazard. He's just wearing He's a, a fire hazard. Amazing. It's bad. Go ahead, Monty. Um, I think the reason Apple Studios was in Savile Row is because that's where all the tailors were. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when you wanted a new ridiculous fur coat, you fur just coat. had to go next oh, door. Oh my gosh. Because the, the number coats. of fur coats in this, and I realized it was very cold. It was insane. <laughs> the fur coats were insane. Every day somebody's yeah. coming in in something wild because it's Just 1969 yeah. like a, London. Like a Yeti. I did. Like a Yeti. I, I, I thought it was funny, too, because uh, John at several points is kind of a slob. Um, Paul <laughs> yeah. is like, uh, you know, give me a vest. <laughs> I'll wear the hell out of any vest you own. Yeah. Yep. And and then and, and Rinko is styling. But George Harrison, I had no idea. He is... The stuff he wears, it's it is both bananas and also like amazing. <laughs> like it's yeah. it is yeah. it's like I can't believe he's wearing that and that's beautiful. Yeah. It's just like it, it's amazing. George Harrison is the secret hottie of the Beatles. It, like it's always like, are you a Paul or a John? No, George Harrison. George, is the really? Secret that's your Beatles that's your guy, hottie. George Harrison. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Especially man. when he got older, I think I think he did something with his teeth and got him fixed. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. I, I sure. think I I think that that. Yeah, George Harrison. Magic, Magic Alex has a special electronic <laughs> braces he'll put on you. He's yeah. got like jackets with these purple pinstripes and stuff. It oh is so God. amazing. He's got God. boots that might just be slippers that are very distracting <laughs> oh, oh whenever my, they oh show up on screen. They're, flower, yeah. they're flowered. Oh my God. Yeah. George, George, George Harrison is the kind of guy that, well, I, at least watching this, I got the impression that he had a lot of thoughts and he was mostly keeping them to himself because they yes. weren't necessarily welcome in the band right uh more than once we would see paul bring up like oh this is george's last night song like you got the impression that george went home every night and wrote a song every uh-huh. night mm-hmm. all the time and he'd bring it to the band and they would check it out and his his mode of dress speaks to that too like i <laughs> he 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 thinks that like I am doing my own thing. I have thoughts. I've got opinions, and I'm going to do it. And I think, and it was a little weird when he quit earlier, uh, oh, because there hadn't it. been a huge blow up. There hadn't been a thing. He was just saying, no, okay, I'm he, out. Ju- he just yeah, didn't I'm come. Out. I'm done. He just did, he didn't come, and they were all super concerned. And but yet it wasn't a huge thing, and they were all sad about it. And yeah. I think they expressed their sadness about it and nobody liked it. Nobody was right. like, F George. Yeah. Like they were just like, oh, I, hopefully George will come today. We'll call him. You know, yeah. I, 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 right. I thought yeah. it was so, ext- again, extraordinarily civil. I know. Yeah. I, I, I know it's weird to tie his mode of dress, like the, what he chooses to wear 
to that. But it seems yeah. it's they seem related, right? It's like, yeah. oh, look, I'm going to yeah. do my own thing. I'm oh, I know. Divorced like, from this, and they're connected. Yeah. And, yes. I like the scene where okay. he uh, where he comes in and says, "I, I just watched this uh, program on BBC. You know, out of the unknown, an episode yeah. that no longer exists. You know, right. I like that he was just watching." BBC that night and came up with an idea from a song. And part of me like wondered like Doctor Who is airing right now. A particularly not not noteworthy story called The Crotons is airing at the same time as like on Saturday nights is during this. And I'm thinking he probably didn't watch that for inspiration. No, but but, it, but just, out of the I'm unknown, like, it's not yeah. not not bad. And also also Stephen, you know, while they were recording this, several um Several episodes of Doctor Who were deleted from the BBC library. During I this literally year. stumbled on a <laughs> wonderful fact that on January 39th, uh, January 31st, 1969, the last January day of recording. January 39th is a very Doctor yeah. Who date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they literally wiped the original master videotapes of about 100 Doctor yeah. Who episodes that very day when Paul what? McCartney is sitting in front of a piano <laughs> wearing a vest. long and winding road. <laughs> yep. There are there are 100 fewer Doctor Who episodes Just like in the that, world. Stephen. Just like that. Yeah. But, but you're right. I, I love that moment where where it's, George is recounting the plot of what he saw on BBC. I know. Yeah, and I, I I googled it. I was like immediately like, what is it that he saw? And it was this yeah, like a sci-fi anthology series, kind of like a Twilight Zone ish sort of thing that they had done on the BBC. And he was like, oh, that was pretty cool. And yeah, and here it doesn't there. exist. And, yeah. it do- and, and, and deleted, let's yeah. l- let's be thankful for the <laughs> fact that the Beatles are like the most documented band in the history of music. It seems like you could actually like suit through all after the this they are. Uh, it's certainly after this, <laughs> but like you know, all you could see like basically where they. They were from 1963 until like 1970 because there's like dates of when they were on tour and then right. like oh here's they recorded take 38 of yeah, something no, on nobody this day, deleted you know? their tapes nobody oh. deleted nope there's all the tapes 150 or 66 hours of film yeah. existed for 50 years in the in vault, vault thanks to this uh in yeah. mark lewis owns book uh tune in you can feel him being angry that he doesn't know what day specifically <laughs> they took a van to a place in France. <laughs> oh man! How dare they? Oh, uh, uh, I'm I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan, and there's one official concert movie and a couple of bootleg videotape versions from like the that they projected on the big screen in 1975 and 77, and one TV appearance from 1969, and that is it for video footage. So seeing this much from uh, another great band is uh, just a delight. It's I'm, amazing. I'm glad. That, I'm glad we really have it for Led Zeppelin. That's uh, so that shocking. is it. That is it. Wow. Yeah, that's all wow. they ever had shot. So, so yay to the Beatles for subjecting Man. themselves to this awful film experience Amen. so that we could watch it fifty years, <laughs> 50 years later. Like, there, there is a moment where they're like, you know, fifty years on, they're not going to care about any of this. And we're like, yeah, that's us. He's so, talking about us. I know. They all say that. Oh, the Beatles broke up because Yoko sat in the amp fifty years later. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what pretty much what we were thinking until yeah. we saw this. Right, but isn't it kind of crazy that this sat around for that long? Yeah, I think I think that's so crazy that no one thought to do anything with this. And, and apparently, this. it was it was chance that Peter Jackson was in London, and he's a huge Beatle maniac, and they took him on a tour, and uh, and they said, you know, this is the vault. <laughs> and it basically it came up that they had all of the footage and and I think maybe even the story is that somebody joked of like, oh, you want to do a documentary about this? And he couldn't get it out of his head. And he was like, yes, I do. 
I do. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I do want to spend three years in New Zealand doing nothing but looking at this footage. And and they did. Anybody who's had to sync audio with video will know they built all of these tools to do lip sync so they could figure out what video matched what audio because they were recorded totally separately. And the, the and the picture went on and off, but the audio kept going. And I was then, really struck by some of the technical aspects yeah. of it. Like and, you don't notice it. Yeah. Well, there's so they they make a big deal about how they did a lot of machine learning stuff in order to train. They actually machine learning trained all the Beatles voices so they could do isolation. Mm. And and there are only a few moments where you where where I noticed it, where I was like, I see what they're doing there. There those moments because, you know, they're playing and then they go into the studio to hear the playback and they have conversations in there. And and there are a couple that this audio is kind of muddy. And then I realized, oh, they're playing back their music loud. Yeah. And they've removed all of the music so that you can hear the conversation that Paul and Ringo are having. Yeah. Um, oh. And it's kind of amazing. So like on a technical level, they did some amazing things to make this happen. And it really is because Peter Jackson loves the Beatles and he was in the vault and he thought, hmm, and and then spent like three or four years of his life bu- building this thing. <laughs> but I'm glad he did because it is, uh, yes, it is very long. And yes, parts of it are tedious, but that's part of like, I we watched it over not three installments. We watched it over like six installments. Right. But mm-hmm. I I I loved it as I loved the tediousness yeah. of it. Like yeah. I I sort yeah. of like I I I can admit that parts of it were boring, but I super got into the boring. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I just I just embraced like yeah. hey, this is just the weird process, and I I really exactly. I can admit it was boring, but I loved it. So yeah, it's I, not the same know. if they just put a text up saying, and then they yeah. played the song four more times, yeah. making it yeah. no, minute no. changes. Like right. I said, I, I, I heard the song. I love the song Get Back. And by the end, I was like, oh, my God, please don't play Get Back. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like if I hear Get Back one well, more time. Well, three times I'm on the roof to... was excessive. But in the yeah, studio, right, right. I was I kind of. They did it on the roof three times. Yeah. I was like, I guess you would be excited. Well, and know, they didn't but... get it right, so then they recorded it the next day, and that's the take that they used in the yes, album, yes, right? They're like, yes. we still don't have it. Yes. We got to do it. To... No, but that te- like you want to be in there with the boys, right? You want to be exactly. in there yeah. and yeah. feel like what kind of what they're feeling in that yeah. moment, and and it really is evocative of that. And if you chopped it up by and cut another two hours out of it, it wouldn't have that feeling. I I really do right. really sincerely think that like the tedium is. Uh, part, part of, it. of it it's what yeah. makes it yeah. work right like yeah. no, I uh, loved work it. work is hard work is tedious like we all do stuff and we make things and there's the fun exciting creative thing and then there's the not fun just <laughs> doing grinding doing the work thing yeah you know yeah. and like you don't get the rooftop concert yeah. unless I, you spend right. hours and days and weeks exactly. before that and you don't yeah. get the right. euphoria you don't get the the bump of like energy if you right. haven't been like sitting cooped up and like, right. okay, this is boring. Knowing like, what they put actually... into it, yeah. other th- other right. than the cocaine, if you th- th- then you well, get the bump of yeah. energy, but otherwise, do you, otherwise uh, you don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Stephen, uh, you know, I know you like uh, documents of like old uh, studio videotape and all of that. You, I imagine that the, the, the <laughs> Stephen, the, you're a nerd, right? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> Stephen's a very particular kind of nerd, and I feel like this this hits your sweet spot in the sense that that's part of the appeal of watching the that giant uh, you know uh, videotape. Uh, recording session is you're watching the 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 thing being made and it is boring and tedious and yet also kind of fascinating if you want to know like how did this happen and that's what this whole documentary is 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 you gotta you gotta see the highs and the lows in order to really get a sense of how this thing happened 
Listen, I felt guilty watching this, thinking that Peter Jackson made this expressly for me and me alone. Because <laughs> I would watch, I said it many times in this podcast, I would literally watch all 60. I want to see the tedium. I want to see every step of this process because I find it utterly fascinating. You know, the even the Beatles, after several years on top of the music world, can't just show up at a studio and just, okay, let's turn out 14 hit songs and on the first take and... <laughs> Off we go. <laughs> right. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of fooling to- around and, and a lot stuff. of toast. And I want to see <laughs> all of it. I want to see. Yeah, yeah, you you spread it over. I I literally stayed up till three a.m. three straight nights because yeah. I waited for Erica to go. Erica watched about four minutes and thinking, "Yep, nope, this isn't for me." It's okay. <laughs> Good night. I am going to start watching this at oh, midnight, man. and I'm staying up till three. And I was riveted every single yeah. second. It was yeah. so riveting, right? Like it was just so. First of all, I will watch a documentary about anything. I will watch a documentary about making hot dogs, like. Anything that is a, a well done documentary, I will watch. So, I mean, I found this even not as a huge Beatles fan. I found this so yeah. fascinating. Eight hours, and, yeah, and I, I mean, I that's, loved it. I what? loved, it. and I was sad that it was over. I was yeah, sad. I was like, I, I could listen to Paul McCartney just talk in that lilting. Well. They all with talk his, like with they're his singing. baby face and beard, yeah. oh, and just yeah. be really and his serious. Vest. Don't oh, forget the vest. Oh, oh my gosh! And he yeah. and I got to tell you, he they they're so handsome at that age. They're good looking. Like I said, they're very good looking I mean, people. Yeah. yeah, Paul Paul McCartney at twenty five. I was like, oh, oh. At, you know, I see it. At the end of this, it, there definitely is a moment where they're like, well, we're going to shut down now. We're not going to, the project is over. And I'm like, no, no, no. They're about to no, record no, Abbey Road. No, no, Keep no, it no, rolling. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. no, this film is very expensive. Yeah. We're done now. And it's like, no, yeah. I want to see more of this. And they, I want to see them talking Ringo into doing a drum solo for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I, yeah. I do love that they, that they rolled with the 16 millimeter rather than the three, like, Capture it, right? Like even Just, if it's cheaper yeah. stock, capture yeah. it. It's better. Yeah, if than, it was more like, expensive, we wouldn't have all the footage that we had. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this podcast is now longer than a Beatles concert. We've established that, but shorter <laughs> than Get Back, and we're not going to go longer than Get Back. So I guess I, I want to go around. If any of you have um, points that you would like to make about this thing that you haven't made yet, now would be a good time to do that. I love the gear. Uh, I'm. I. I know that friends of mine uh, have been ogling those guitars uh, that the Beatles use because those are just the basic guitars that are being used around 1969. But they're all legendary classics. I think a friend of mine actually has a, a reissue of the Epiphone um, uh, semi hard body guitar that uh, that John Lennon used. Of course, there's the the famous Hofter bass there as well, and just seeing the oh the the, the Hammond organ and the uh, the Fender Rhodes electric piano, which like you know despite any number of synthesizer plugins, nothing beats those original right. uh, sounds on those original instruments. So just seeing those being set up and just p- being played just raw into the studio. Yeah, uh, that was also one of my favorite things of the uh, the, the late 60s, early 70s is whenever you were recording something for film, uh, you had to have a separate set of microphones to record onto film and then a separate set of microphones to record onto the actual master tape. So there's that legendary bit where there's two tapes, uh, two microphones microphones taped together which i love and of course <laughs> apparently it's an electricity hazard because george socks oh, himself george, on it. it's just george, like, george shocked himself that's yeah. what i was thinking about when i was thinking about that we all had better microphones than yeah. the oh, Beatles man. recorded this on i was like they had microphones ta- 
taped together. And it, George kept electrocuting himself. Yep. But yeah, that's great that you understood what that meant. Oh, yeah. I, did not. I love it. I love watching old tech. And this isn't old tech. It's brand new tech, but it's uh, it's classic. It's cutting so. edge. Yep. I was appalled that there was a sticker on Paul's base. Oh, you know, base man. That, the ass that, man. I'm like, he was that's, the ass man. that's a Hoff, That's a violin Hofner. It's yeah. Paul McCartney's base. You can't put a sticker on it. You are, oh, you are Paul McCartney, McCartney. but I, yeah. I guess it's okay. And then he says he just uses that guitar because it's lighter. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love that. And then he brings out the Rickenbacker uh, for one song too. I think that he had uh, in the yeah, studio though, when they get did, into the, he yeah, definitely did, which is pretty cool. I love a good old Ricky bass. I really, really enjoy this more than I expected to. I yeah, me too. I'm, a, I'm a Beatles fan. Uh, I did not expect this movie to be this good. Peter Jackson has a way of dragging things out, <laughs> which, <laughs> which huh. I was not a huge fan of traditionally, but for some reason it worked. Man, it worked. I, I, this was. Great. I, I, I think they mm-hmm. did a really, really great job. Um, it, by turns, both demystifies the Beatles. They're not geniuses. They're kind of dumb at times. And it deifies them in in yep. the same way. It, like, it, it really works. It, it It is a remarkable work, and it makes me really, really happy, not just to learn more about the Beatles, but to understand that, like, uh, this is the creative process, and I just appreciate it. I appreciate it as a work, and I hope more people watch it. Obviously, eight hours is a huge investment, but uh, I think it's worthwhile. I, I really do think that this is a, a project that was worth everybody's time. The only thing that I wish was in there that wasn't was an accurate representation of what the rooftop concert sounded like at Sidewalk. Oh, man. Oh, right. <laughs> because right, it's right. a concrete canyon, and the speakers were pointed across the top. There's no way it sounded good, right? No way. No. Nah. Probably not. Right. That's why they were asking, Just, do you know what you're listening to? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, mm. But most people did say the Beatles. They say the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, that's Paul I think, McCartney, I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, Just I, a I, very muffled. Yeah. Get back. <laughs> Still better sound than Shea Stadium, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like Shea Stadium, you couldn't hear it, and it, we didn't go on very long, and you really, you know, you couldn't see them. So <laughs> it's like every other Beatles concert, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, this was a lot of fun uh, to watch it and then to talk about it uh, so much here. And if you haven't seen it yet, well, Disney Plus, it's right there. You should go see it because this was great. And just reserve some time or do what Steven did and let your spouse go to bed and then stay up till three in the morning. <laughs> Gonna watch it all again. That, Gonna watch it all again. That'll work. That'll work. It's beautiful. Let me thank my guests one last time before we go. Monty Ashley, thank you. Uh, thanks, Mo. <laughs> Steven Chapansky, thank you. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves, and I hope we pass the audition. Ah, uh, you took the you took the best one, Guy English. <laughs> thank you, ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> and Amy Gruber, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for letting me get some of this out. I really, I really had to get it out. We had to, we had to talk about it. It was, <laughs> it was a moral imperative. We had to do it. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. Uh, sometime we should just get some film and have everybody record us as we, oh no, that's a bad idea. Oh, Let's God, not do that's that. Horrible. That's a horrible that's idea. Horrible. No, no, don't do uh, it. We will see bring, you next week. Who's bringing the toast? <laughs> <laughs>